We've been in John chapter 17 for the last couple of weeks. We'll be there again today, and then we'll be done. I've found it really challenging to get my arms around these simple words that are so loaded with truth, and it's Jesus praying. And so I just feel like, well, what Jesus said, he prayed that. Let's just bask in it. And largely we'll be doing that again this morning. I was thinking uh, in light of Jesus, this being his last really teaching slash prayer time of any extent before his disciples, uh, what if I would like to be found praying for my last words to my family or, or my church family. Uh, that wouldn't be bad. And so Jesus did speak some other words after this prayer as he was on his way to the cross, but he is about to go to the cross. He's just a few hours away, and he's been doing an extended last period of teaching for his disciples. And, um, and so as part of that last bit of teaching, he's praying in their hearing. So Jesus... In the first part of John 17, the first five verses, he prayed for the Father to restore his glory. Before he came to this earth, he was totally glorious. No, he didn't have humanity. He didn't have sin at all. And uh, he accomplished sin's redemption, people's redemption. And so he said, Father, now that I've accomplished your work, yet he still had to go to the cross and, and be resurrected before Uh, It was completely accomplished, but so certain was he to accomplish it that he said, Restore to me the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. And then last week, we saw that Jesus revealed God's word to his disciples to save them, to sanctify them, and to send them. So he, in his prayer, he identified, This is who my disciples are. They are those who have received my word and been saved. And because of that, I'm praying for their sanctification, their holiness, and I am sending them into the world. And so this week, we're looking at one more picture that Jesus is praying for his church. It really is that. It's Jesus' vision for his church until he returns. And so the main things he's covering today are the unity of the church, the mission of the church, and the love that God has for the church and that is uh, in the church itself. So unity or oneness, mission, and love. So let's dive into John Chapter 17, verses 20 to 26, and uh, see how Jesus prays for his disciples, that is, the church. He says in verse 20 of chapter 17 of John, I do not ask for, for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you've loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Father, help us to grasp what you want us to hear from Jesus' prayer. Your son prayed these words to you. We know that they are going to be fulfilled. We don't yet see them fully fulfilled. We see progress. 
And so we're thankful, Father, for the progress that Jesus' redemptive gospel has made in the world, but there's still so much to be done. And so help us to be faith-filled and hope-filled and love-filled as a result of dwelling in this passage of your son's prayer this morning. Help me to make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. Help us to, to lay hold of this with our very hearts and be, transform our lives through it. In Christ's name, amen. So in verse 20, Jesus says, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus has been praying right up front for his 11 remaining disciples. One had become a traitor or was in the process of doing that. And, but he says, I'm praying not just for these 11, but for all whoever would be my disciples, all times, all places, all disciples ever. So, and he's saying that to the 11, he's praying so they hear that they have a mission to carry out. They are to take the very words that God has given to them through Jesus and, uh, and send that out to us. And so they got that to us by preaching it into the initial realms in which they were in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. They began working their way out to Gentile territory, and they wrote a lot of things down. We have it. So we have the very words, just as Jesus wanted us to have, that we must put our faith and trust in in order to know Jesus, in order to have eternal life. And so that's how Christ is building his church. It is through his word, preached, taught, and obeyed, lived out, that's why he gave, us, gave the initial apostles the word. That's why they passed them down to us. That's why we need to be in it. So that's his prayer for all disciples of all times leading up to us today. Then moving on to verse 21, we start seeing what Jesus asks in particular. He asks that all the disciples will be one as he and the Father are one. So Jesus' goal or purpose in praying for all who would ever believe this apostolic testimony that we have in the Word of God, what kind of oneness or unity can such a diverse group have? How, what kind of unity is Jesus praying for? He's asking them, he's asking the Father, that, the, that we have a unity, we, his church, as the Father and the Son are one. He's praying for the very oneness between Father and Son to be our oneness. Now, the Father and the Son are distinct persons, but they are both God. And so they share, we might put it this way, they share a spiritual unity or union that expresses itself in unity of knowledge, love, purpose, and mission. And so we're to have that same kind of unity. But Jesus doesn't stop there in what he prays for the unity of his disciples. He doesn't just ask that they be one as the Father and Jesus are one. He prays that their unity be such that they may be in us. So he says... Uh, I pray that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So that same kind of spiritual unity that the Father and Son has, he prays for his church. But not only that, he prays that, um, that they, they may, we also may be in them, in the Father and Son. So I don't get that. I just know Jesus says it, that we are united to the Father and the Son. We have a unity that is based upon their very union. And so that means... Jesus is praying for the church to be one. The unity of the disciples is interlinked to the very life and heart connection between Father and Jesus the Son. So you can see the unity that Jesus envisions for believers is not any man-made artificial unity. It's not some man-made structure. It's not some, some lowest common denominator unity. 
But at the same time, it's a unity that can be seen because he says, the unity produced by believers' union with the Father and Son is so distinctive that Jesus sees it as a means for the world to know that the Father sent him. So he says, as part of the mission, we are to so be united that the world can say, yep, there's something going on there that's not a a normal union. There's lots and lots and lots of disunity today in the world, anywhere you look, Syria, Egypt, United States, we have a lot of disunity here. Sadly, a lot of church, our church experience, many of you have been in churches that have had dis- problems with unity, and, and that would be the history of many churches. But Jesus' prayer will be fulfilled, and we keep pursuing the unity that he has gifted to us. So the world's going to see that how? Well, primarily, by the way, Christians share faith, life, and love, and serve one another the way we do mission together, Uh, The way we confess the essential truths of the faith, majoring on the major truths of the gospel, who Jesus is, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, shared uh, baptism, Lord's Supper, those things that unify us, distinctively set us apart. And so look how important the unity of the church is to the mission of the church. Churches are to reflect the unity of the Father and the Son, so the world may believe that the Father sent the Son to be Savior and Lord. So they, they should be able to look at the church and say, you know, I don't fully get all that they're saying, but I see there is a special unity here that, that I can't explain apart from that there's truth in what they're saying. That's what he's saying. So when we don't, when we uh, serve our own agendas and we let disunity creep in, we invalidate our message. We make it look less believable. That's what Jesus is saying. So uh, we don't make ourselves one by we don't make ourselves one by fellowshipping and doing mission together. But these do provide the context for unity to take place. So we we step out into how does what has Jesus created this unity in us for? What is He desiring for us to do? He wants us to share love. He wants us to share life. He wants us to share mission. So we could learn some things from um, Buzz Lightyear and Woody from Toy Story. Or we could learn some things from the characters in the movie Up. So Pixar gets it. Pixar gets when you have a common mission, you can, unity can happen. So in uh, the technologically up-to-date Buzz Lightyear, if you haven't seen to- Toy Story, just bear with me for a minute. Uh, Buzz Lightyear exposes the insecurities of Woody, the cowboy doll, Or in the movie Up, the young Boy Scout Russell annoys the elderly Carl so much that when he begs Carl, please let me in, as the house floats thousands of feet above uh, the ground, Carl says no and slams the door. So by the end of the movies, got Woody and Buzz sitting together side by side on Andy's bed at Christmas. So they were brought together. Or Carl and Russell are sitting side by side on the side of the road enjoying a couple of ice cream cones. So what turned their conflict into camaraderie? They had a common mission. So for the toys, it was the mission of getting back to their owner. For Carl and Russell, it was the mission of leading the mother of a nearly extinct species of animals to her hungry babies. So that may be kind of a lame illustration, but at least it shows something about mission being what we're here for. And it's not that that creates unity. It provides the opportunity for for God to grow in us the very unity for which he has given to us in Christ. Mission has that same effect on the church. 
And just think what power for unity we have if we lay aside our personal preferences and agendas and follow Christ's mission. What are we doing that is interfering with the, the power for unity that God wants to create in us through Jesus Christ? Well, he goes on and prays in verse 22. He says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one. So he's still talking about praying about unity. So the glory that the Father has given Jesus is the glory of revealing the character of the Father, the plans of the Father, the purpose of the Father. He's serving in the power of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is saying he has given the disciples glory even at this point in time, before he's gone to the cross and resurrection. Now we live in the age where he has gone to the cross, he's defeated sin, devil, and, uh, and he's granted us eternal life through his resurrection and sent the Holy Spirit. So we've got a lot more glory download from God than even the original disciples did at that point in time. So Christ has planted in us the seeds of his glory, that is, his truth, his goodness, and his beauty. You say, that's, what does that mean? Uh, glory means the truth, goodness, and beauty of Christ being seen as he reveals the Father. So he, he plants in us these glory seeds. They take root and grow, and we grow more and more into the likeness of Christ. Not only do we become more like him in character, but we grow more like him in unity, because it's the very nature of Jesus to be unified with the Father. There's no division between Jesus and the Father. There's no conflict between them. And so he creates that in us. So the more we grow in Christ-likeness, not only do we reflect more and more what he is like in himself, but the more we reflect unity, because that is the nature of God, Father and Son. So Jesus has injected you and me with his glory. Right? And so you may not notice it, but he has given us the very seeds of his glory, what we need to do to look more like Jesus, to live more like Jesus, to be unified like him and the Father. In fact, the evidence of spiritual maturity is, is, is much seen in how we get along with others as, than in how we behave morally. So both are important, but a lot of immaturity creates division. In fact, you know, what do the little kids have to learn? What are they learning right now back in Sunday school? Don't hit, don't take stuff that's not your own, don't, you know, be a helper, those kinds of things. And we still learn those things for life. How to be unified with the unity that God has created for us in Christ. In verse 23, uh, we see more what we need to learn about, about this unity. So Jesus dwells in his own that they may be one, so the world will know God loves them. Jesus, in this prayer, uh, in verse 23, he repeats some of the very same things he's just said, which we do when we're really passionate and earnest and we, we pray, we repeat ourselves. And so Jesus is repeating some of the same things he's already asked for, and he's uh, repeating it probably also for his disciples' benefit, so they're going to get what he's really asking for. So first, Jesus restates the basis for Christian unity, which is the Father in him and he in the Father. The unity and union of the Father and the Son is the basis for Christian unity. Not let's us all get along, humanly speaking, but let us be who we are in union with the Father and Son. And so he repeats his request that the disciples would be one. This time he says that they may be perfectly one. Literally, we could translate that as that they may be completed in one, or that, you, that they may be brought to complete unity. 
So the wording indicates this is going to be a process. Are you getting the idea that Jesus values the disciples' oneness? I mean, this is his last extended prayer that we have recorded anyway. And the very last thing he's asking of the Father is over and over again, he's asking different ways about being one. And so we ought to get the hint. Again, the goal of the growth of the church and unity or oneness is, Jesus says, so that the world may know that the Father sent Jesus. So, Christians, we do need to get along and work together for the sake of the gospel to complete the mission to legitimize our witness to Jesus as reflecting the glory and goodness of the Father and carrying out his saving work. And more than the world being convinced the Father sent Jesus, Jesus also knows that the more Christians live out their unity in him, the world will also know this, that the Father loved us as he loves Jesus. Wow. The Father loves you and I just as he loves his Son. That is a perfect love. There's no, no greater love than that could anybody love us with. But the, the love of God the Father for God the Son, that's the love with which he loves us with. Can you believe that? I mean, just hang there for a minute. God loves every person here in Christ with the same kind of love that he loves Jesus' his son. That is awesome. That is amazing. That is life transformative. So the world needs to know. Why does the world need to know that, though? So they, I mean, what's, what's, why, why would the world need to understand that? The world needs to know this. That's what Jesus is saying. Maintain this unity, Father, in them, that the world may know that uh, you love them as you love me. So why does the world need to know that? Because the world needs to know that followers of Jesus have not just adopted a set of religious practices. This isn't just our preferred way of doing things, like a set of religious rules and so on, practices and values. But we have been saved into a love relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. If you want that, then you receive Jesus. If you want a religion that is not a relationship, a love relationship with Jesus Christ, don't become a Christian because that's what it is. Being a Christian is being saved into a love relationship with Jesus Christ through God the Father. So there could be no higher love than that between God the Father and His Son, and yet He shares that very love with those who trust in Jesus. And that's all we can do. All we can do is receive it. He didn't look at us and say, well, he is worthy of my love. She's, well, I really love her, and she's really wonderful. I think I'll set my love on her. Nope, it's freely given to us, completely by grace. It's completely not anything about us that caused him to love us. It was his complete um, free love that he sets upon us because of Christ. At the same time, so this love is an inclusive love that is for all who come to him through Jesus. At the same time, it is an exclusive love that is only for those who come to him through Jesus. So if you want that kind of love, you come through Jesus. If you don't want it, then Jesus is not part of the equation. It's like your love for your children. We all love our children, right? Yes, that's the right answer, just in case you need it. Yeah. So you may have a type of love for all the children you know. A lot of kids are lovable. So you may love every kid to some extent that you, that's in your neighborhood or in your family, but you have an exclusive, unique love for your own kids, or at least you're supposed to. 
The only way for a child to receive that kind of love that you have for your own child is to be adopted into your family. And so that's what God has done for us. He has adopted us into the family of Christ, and we share that special love that he has for his son, Jesus. So again, if you're a Christian today, God loves you with the same love that he loves Jesus with, always, all the time, on your good days and bad. It's not up and down. It's like, man, I really don't love him or her very much today because they're being kind of nasty or naughty. No, his love, if you're in Christ, his love for you is always 100% the same as he loves Jesus. That's what Jesus said. Jesus wasn't just making extreme statements here. He's saying you always have that kind of love. Now, the Father may discipline you. He will, if you're truly his child, that kind of love, but he always loves you with the love that you have in Jesus Christ. And this ensures that we're being perfected in unity. We are being completed as one, as God, as Jesus prayed. We also know that living out our unity is a challenge, right? Living out our oneness just as it is in families, so it is in the family of God. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, we need to bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He doesn't say create unity on your own. He says maintain the unity that the Spirit unites us to in Jesus. God, the Spirit, unites us to God the Father through Jesus the Son. He's created that unity. We are to keep earnestly preserving it because it's always challenged by our remaining junk in our lives, remaining sin that we still have. Well, Jesus then prays as he does in verse 24. Father, I desire. That's a strong word. What does Jesus really desire? He says, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. Think of the greatest desire you have, what you long for the most. How would you complete this sentence? What I want to experience more than anything in life is, and of course that would be all over the board, anything from lots and lots of money to a good haircut, right? I can tell you where every one of those desires is leading, what they were meant to lead to. Though Every desire you have, anything that you could put in that spot and say, I desire this more than anything else, or even I desire this a little bit, all of those desires were meant Their ultimate fulfillment, I can tell you what those are. Really, I can do that. You want to hear what that is? You know the answer. It's what Jesus prayed. The ultimate end or fulfillment of all of our desires is this. This is what every one of our desires was meant to lead to and be fulfilled in. These desires are meant to, to be with Jesus Christ and to see his glory. Did you know that? Every desire you have, the ultimate Fulfillment of that is to be with Jesus Christ and see his glory. The glory of the one eternally loved by the Father. That's what Jesus says. Not just his glory uh, only, does Jesus say, but his glory, as he defines it, is the, the glory that, he had get, that you had given him, Father, because you loved him before the foundation of the world. So this is what we are saved for. And since he saved us into the Father's great love for him, we know the greatest love gift he can give us is to bring us into the presence of his Son where we can enjoy his glory forever. And we experience this on an earthly level. I've got to use kid illustrations again because they really work as good as anything. We 
save our kids because of their ability, inability to exist on their own and their tendency to self-destruct, left of their own, especially when they're little, sometimes even when they're teenagers, they will self-destruct, and their vulnerability to death because we love them. And though we provide for them things like food, clothing, shelter, comfort, discipline, and other things they need, the greatest gift we give them is ourselves. Just ask these kids over here, right? Greatest. Uh, talk to them later. Okay. Children were designed, apart from sin, to, be, to want to be with and enjoy their parents. That is how God has designed us. He has designed us for our maximum satisfaction above every other thing, to be satisfied with beholding the glory of his son. And that glory reflects, the glory of Jesus reflects most of all the eternal love the father has for the son. This is just where it blows my mind. I can't get my arms around it, but that's what Jesus says. So our love hunger, we might call it that, our desire to be loved, is only satisfied in a love that God has for his son. That is where all the love desire we have points to, the love that the father has for the son. And so the world doesn't get this. That's what Jesus says in verse 25. In verse 25, he says, Father, the world has not known you, even though the world does not know you as the righteous Father. I know you, and these know that you sent me. The world would not say that the ultimate fulfillment of our desires by God's design is to be with Jesus and see his glory. They would not say, yep, I get that. We have a hard time getting that. Uh, so, you know, they would just say, nope, that's not it. Change the channel, give me another beer, just let me have my five hours a day browsing the internet and Facebook. What's for dinner? But the world rejects the love of God in the glory of Christ as their ultimate good because they don't know the righteous Father. That's what Jesus says. Jesus, of course, he knows the Father, that he is righteous, and because by his grace, Jesus' disciples know that the Father has sent him as the Father's love gift to the world. How does Jesus rescue people out of the world into a love relationship with the Father? That's what he says in the last verse in this text, verse 26. Jesus says he has made known to his disciples the Father's name, and that is uh, all that the Father is and does. The words the Father gave him, the works that Jesus did, that's what the Father sent him to do. Those, those works, Jesus, especially his death on the cross and his resurrection, represent the Father's plan, the, the ultimate plan he had to save people was the sacrifice of his own son. That shows the Father's heart. So when he says, I've revealed to, I've made known to my disciples your name, he's talking about all that God is, in particular, as it's been fulfilled in his son Jesus. The Father's will, his character, his purposes. So in other words, if you want to know the Father, you've got to look to the Son, because Jesus the Son has exclusive revealing rights to the Father. You can't know the Father apart from the Son. You want to know the Father? You look to Jesus. And until we see him face to face, right now, the only way we can know either one of them is through the word of God that's been planted into people like you. And so I need to be able to look at you and say, you know, I see Jesus in this church because that's what Jesus is doing in the world right now through his people who come together and gather together and share life together and share mission together and share serving together and care, bear one another's burdens together. That is where that unity between the Father and the Son gets put on display. It's not perfect yet. God is perfecting it. He's on the slow process from our timetable, 2,000 years, and we still seem like we have a long way to go. At any time, though, we'd love for Jesus to interrupt and show up and bring us home. But in the meantime, 
until we see him face to face, we've got the word of God and the people of God to display what Jesus has prayed for. So knowing God the Father requires knowing Christ, which requires knowing the Bible. And Jesus makes the Father known, and this is what, again, this is mind-blowing, so that the love of the Father for Jesus may be in us. Did you hear that? Jesus says, I made known to them your name, and I'll continue to make it known that the love which you have, Father, love me with, may be in them, and I in them. So we have two mind-blowing, heart, incredible, can't get my arms around it, promises that Jesus prayed here at the very end, that the Father's love for Jesus is in us, and Jesus is in us. And you say, well, if I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to have that kind of love. I don't feel a lot of love. What do I do with that? Well, I... I I've got to just close with three brief exhortations. This is a free gift. This is what God is accomplishing in us. He's gifted us with his love for Christ. And if we love Christ, we love his people. So it's not appropriate to say, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church because these are the people that are representing Christ to us, as imperfect as we are. So three things to to practically help us apply this. First of all, pray. Ask God to grant and grow in us the love of Christ that Jesus himself prayed for. Take your Bible, go to God, and point to this verse and say, God, would you do what this text says in my life? Because I can't even come close to loving Jesus with the love that you have for them. That is too much for me. I, I can't contain it. You, your son prayed for it. So would you do this? Would you cause me to grow in love for you, a love that can be felt and seen? Secondly, is to obey. I know that's a tough word. We don't obey to earn God's love, but as Jesus uh, taught a little bit earlier in John chapter 15, he said, Abide in my love as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So all of us have a case, a, a, a disease called ODD, right? Obedience deficit disorder. And we miss out on experiencing the love of the Father, even as Jesus himself says, I obeyed the Father and I I abided, if that's the right use of that verb, in his love. That's how we really experience and energize the experience of the Father's love is through obedience to Christ. And finally, we love his people because we, by faith we recognize that every person who is a Christian is got Jesus Christ living within them. That's what Jesus said, I in them. So as incredible as it sounds, we have the love of the Father and Jesus Christ in us. So I hope that prompts you to want to pray something. And as we close our service, I'm going to ask for those who typically help be available to pray for people. So would you just stand up right now if you are willing to do that today or here to do that. We've got Cindy, we've got Don and Nancy, we've got Greg, and we've got Matt, and that's really all you need, and I'm available too. Uh, so... I'm going to pray, and then we'll close our time. You want to do a song? Okay. It's on the... A very short. So I'm going to pray now. We're going to sing, and then after that, we're going to have time. You can pray about anything you want with the designated people. So let's pray. Father, oh God, help us. Jesus has prayed for us this massive, love-saturated, 
oneness prayer that at times we catch glimpses of. At times we're sort of there, lots of times we're not. But we know he is doing this good work in us by his grace, by his powerful resurrection, by his sacrificial death. He has accomplished what there's no way we could have ever been gifted with these truths apart from his death and resurrection and apart from his ongoing life for us. So, Father, would you create in us, continue to create in us what you've already provided, a unity, a oneness that causes the world to say, man, there's something going on there that is really different. And that really is the love that you have for the Son and the love that you have for us through the Son. And we just should be a really loving people. When I say should, Father, that's tough. But we do have it in us by Christ's gift. So help us to just let that dominate, let that leak out through our lives, not disappear, but to be invested in loving others as Christ has loved us. It's in his name we pray, amen.